settle in and then. Welcome everyone. Can they, can everyone hear me? Can our participants hear? Oh, good. Welcome everybody. We're going to take just a few minutes before we get started, even though we're scheduled to start at five. As soon as I see that participant number, take a breather. We'll jump in. Welcome everyone, welcome to our town hall. We're just waiting now to give everybody a quick minute to join and then we'll get started. We are recording, I guess, as of now, so, or a couple minutes ago. Welcome everyone to our town hall tonight. We're gonna to get started in about one minute team. We'll do the one minute warning. I see that number still growing a little bit, so. Yes. Okay. All right, team, I think we get started. Do I see head nods? Are we good? Okay, welcome everyone. Uh, good evening and welcome to tonight's town hall to discuss the city our city consultant's preliminary report on the future of Park Lane. My name is Jim Lopez. I'm one of the deputy city managers here at the city, and I'll host and facilitate our meeting tonight. We are recording tonight's event, so please know that. And the event is scheduled for a full two hours. Uh, so we have a lot to go through, and I'm going to jump right into things. So we'll go to the next slide. As many of you no, last year the council directed staff to study three possible scenarios involving the closing of Park Lane to vehicles. And we hired a consultant, MIG, who are here tonight, thank you all, to assist with that request. And we're very pleased to be joined by MIG to do most of the presenting tonight. Now, tonight's town hall is not actually a council meeting, although many council members are present. They are not panelists, they are um, guests as you are. The council doesn't have a specific role other than to listen and to observe and to gain insight from all of you. Interestingly, the council got this report, I believe at the same time you did, I think we posted it on Friday. So everybody took it in over the weekend and we're all collectively gonna take this opportunity to talk to our consultants uh, about the contents of the report. Now, given that our event is being recorded, I do suspect the council will take the opportunity to watch 
as many times as needed as they prepare their, for their important decision, which of course key, includes keeping the street open to vehicles as it is now. Now the council has scheduled a study session in September, and I'll talk more about that at the end of the presentation, to ask detailed questions to our consultants and city staff. And I'm sure tonight's meeting will play an important role as they prepare for the September study session. And we will be accumulating more information as well, adding to this preliminary report for the study session. Now I do wanna mention briefly, we do have a lot of folks here from the city tonight. Uh, in addition to several members from the city manager's office, including city manager, Kurt Triplett, we have uh, uh, city, uh, one of our senior city attorneys here. We have representatives from public works, parks, and uh, the planning department. So we have a lot of folks who are available to answer questions. And of course, most specifically, as this slide indicates, the consultant is going to be talking about their findings on studying three street closure options or scenarios for Park Lane. And tonight, the lion's share of tonight, upwards of 75 minutes, is to provide you the opportunity to ask us, the consultant in the city, questions about this report. So next slide. So our agenda tonight, as I work through the introductions, I'm gonna talk about briefly some logistics and community principles. We do use this town hall format. We have used it in the past effectively, and we carry certain principles along with it. I'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk briefly about the study's background and its purpose. We'll do a brief overview of that. Then I'm gonna turn it over to Ellie and her staff at MIG uh, to make the presentation about the report. And that will be most of our time. And then we're gonna turn it over to public questions and comments. And I'm gonna talk a little bit about how we're gonna do our very best to, to make sure that uh, everyone or as many people as possible get to ask a question tonight uh, if they so choose. And then I will take a minute after the consultant's report to talk briefly about next steps, mostly about our September study session. So we'll go to the next slide. So our principles, and these are kind of our tried and true principles, um, and we've never been let down. We arrive as a community in the very best city in the state of Washington, and we leave as a community in the very best city in the state of Washington. And these are opportunities for us to come together, even though we disagree, we do it in a way that is uh, enhancing of our community relationship. And that means to respect the views of others, and I know we will, listen to understand, not just debate. We urge everybody to take the time to listen. One person speaks at a time and we'll manage that. Um, Diana Hart and I will manage that and Victoria Kovats. And um, we, are, we ask that we try to identify solutions. Uh, oftentimes these meetings are uh, inspire thought and perhaps some common ground and we like to try to look for that. Now, in terms of the Q&A, the public question and comment period will be a, hopefully a full 75 minutes long. I think that people are betting an over under whether or not I can speak less than 10 minutes and I'm trying to do my best here. Um, after the presentation, I'm going to ask everybody to, if you want to speak, to raise your virtual hand. There's a little button on Zoom where you click it and we're, we're going to have a way to tally that up. And questions will be taken in small groups. We've, we've got a pretty effective system if there are a lot of folks that are asking questions to group them into four or five or six and then we'll take notes and then we'll answer those questions and then move on to the small group. It's a way of getting as many people to ask as possible. 
So next slide. Okay, so the future of the Park Lane study, let's talk very briefly about that. Uh, this goes way back from our timeline. We start at 2008 with the uh, Park Lane Corridor Enhancement Study adopting the flexible street. A lot of this information or all of this information is on our website, the future of Park Lane, um, Victoria or uh, Diana, maybe we could make sure that that website is sent to everybody or put in the link. Um, this is a timeline. I turn your attention to October or August of 2022 is when the council authorized the consultant study. Um, this kind of coincided generally with the um, evenings on Park Lane expiry uh, as that took us through COVID. And then between October and December, with some help from our community, and we thank those who participated, we selected MIG in December of 2022. Uh, thank you for putting the link in, Diana. Uh, I do want to make sure everyone knows this report does remain preliminary. We are going to incorporate, continue to incorporate community feedback, insights. The staff is actually working on some case studies, city staff from case studies, that we hope to have to the council by uh, September. And also, reports presented at council. There was a, a report presented at council. I believe Ken McKenzie were studying as well. So there's more that will be added to this preliminary report as we move forward. So let's talk very briefly about the study's purpose. It's to identify and evaluate practical implementation challenges and opportunities for the three temporary or permanent closure scenarios on the west block of Park Lane. These, this is what we need the consultant for. There's a lot here. I'm going to talk about the, a lot of the issues and the complexity of those issues. So we reached out to the consultant to help us inform the council of the things they need in order to make an informed decision. Now, the general structure of these three scenarios is summer evening closures from around May to October, from around 4 to 11, all of that all of those details are subject to be evaluated. Uh, summer seasonal closure from generally May to October was a scenario and full year closure was a scenario. Now the, the three closure to vehicle scenarios were evaluated in the study, but the council also of course has the option not to close Park Lane and to allow it to remain as a flexible street with vehicle access to parking. So that's kind of the option zero or one of the four options. So next slide. And I'll just talk very briefly here about the details of the scope, because there is a lot in the report. And we sent it out as early as we could, so you could have July and August uh, to uh, digest it and then come to the council in September. Uh, infrastructure is a very important consideration in all of the options. Considerations like shelter, what types, is there what types of seating, is there parklets? vehicle access control and bollards or barriers or other types of of ways to identify closure. This was this was a big part of the report and evaluation. We also asked the consultant to help us with programming or street activation considerations. There's been a lot of there's a huge spectrum on what, how you might program uh, these types of initiatives, including uh, programming for evenings only through all the winter scenarios if it is a, a full year closure. So there's a lot in the report on programming. We asked the consultant about operation impl operational implement, uh, implications, including opening and reopening. Um, what type of maintenance access plan is needed and loading zone locations, taking into the unique characteristics of parkland 
lane and the uh, availability back alleys and, and the structure of the physical location. There's a lot of operational implementation implement, uh, implications that are written about in the report. Of course, we asked about parking and parking mitigation strategies, wayfinding, other public awareness campaigns. What are the resources? What are the assets? associated with this area, what optimal parking closure times are available, alternative lots, aesthetic issues, of course, safety improvements was brought up to the library, all of that's in the report. And then, of course, we also asked about public safety and the requirements and considerations, including emergency access, fire police, vehicle access, and general vehicular circulation of the area. All of the these substantive important issues needed to be addressed. And uh, we very much appreciate MIG taking the time to drill down into detail to do that important work. So I think that leads me to um, turn it over. Next slide. And I think, <clears throat> uh, next slide, Ellie. I think this is where I turn it over to you. Yep, it is. Thanks, Jim. All right. Um... Thanks everyone for taking the time to spend your evening with us. We really appreciate um, you being here. Um, my name is Ellie Schaefer. I am a project manager, planner, urban designer with the consulting firm MIG. Um, so we were hired to help the city um, with this future of Park Lane study. Um, we have three main objectives for our presentation. We're gonna keep it to about 30 minutes or hopefully a little bit less. Um, first, we're gonna review the guiding principles that we established at the beginning of this process. Um, second, we're going to review findings from all three street closure scenarios that are in that preliminary report. Um, and finally, we will be providing um, an overview of how those scenarios are being evaluated. Um, Jim mentioned this, but I'll just repeat that preliminary report is available on the city's website um, if you want to take a deeper look into any of the content that I'll be sharing on my slides here. So these are the five guiding principles for the future of Park Lane. Um, the purpose of these is both to guide the development of the three street closure scenarios, um, as well as to provide measurable goals that we can use to evaluate and compare the scenarios and the existing condition. Um, so these five scenarios, they're based upon um, several things, one being the 2010 Park Lane Pedestrian Corridor Enhancement Study, um, input from city staff, stakeholders, and planning and transportation commissions and um, several adopted plans. So including the city's comprehensive plan, transportation plans, Moss Bay neighborhood plan um, and several more. So I'll just read through these briefly so we can um, pause here. Um, we're going to number one guiding principle, enhance Park Lane's function and reputation as a vibrant local and regional destination and gathering place. Number two, expand economic vitality and support commercial activity. Number three, ensure safe and equitable access for all. Number four, maintain year-round streetscape um, at a high level of service and ensure fiscal sustainability. And number five, incorporate Park Lane as part of a larger non-motorized connection between the lakefront, Kirkland Urban, and the Northeast 85th Street Station area. So we'll come back to these later in our presentation regarding the evaluation of the scenarios. So existing conditions, um, the preliminary report starts with an existing conditions section in order to set the stage for the scenarios. The contents of that section include um, the existing streetscape elements, 
adjacent businesses needs and hours um, and multimodal and operational access. Um, I imagine most people who have joined today are, are probably pretty familiar with the street, so I won't go into too much detail, um, but briefly, Park Lane was renovated in 2015 as a pedestrian-friendly, flexible street. So um, it's a really nice street today with a lot of amenities, um, high-end finishes. It has a flush or curbless condition um, to really facilitate that flexibility it was designed for. Um, so this study is really about how we can best leverage that flexible design and make it the best iteration of itself to serve the Kirkland community. Um, and Jim mentioned this as well, but I'll also just reiterate, we're only looking at the Western block of Park Lane for this study. So between Lake Street and Main Street for a potential closure. Um, so the baseline needs section of the report includes elements that are common to all three scenarios. Um, we just, we put them up front so that they're not repeated three times and makes the report a little easier to digest. Um, I won't read them all in detail, but generally they, they fall into a few categories. So um, some of those categories are infrastructure, things like bollards, water, trash, um, staffing and operations. So looking at street maintenance, programming management. Another category is um, maybe identity and beautification improvements. So looking at landscaping, public art, um, and then looking at different types of access like deliveries and parking. So again, these are common considerations for all three scenarios that are, are cross-cutting. Um, so what are the scenarios themselves? Um, we've outlined three that we've dug into in this study. First one is summer evenings. Um, so looking at car-free um, from 4 p.m. to 11 p.m., May to October. Second scenario is summer season, which would be car-free 24-7, May to October. And then year round, um, which is car free 24 seven all year. Um, while these are the three we studied, no change um, or no closure is another option that's available. City Council ultimately will be deciding um, how to proceed and they may choose to do no change, one of these scenarios or another unique or hybrid scenario of some sort. Um, I'll also note that these are the times we are um, recommending um, in the preliminary report, but the city might choose to fine tune those as well um, as they get towards implementation. So with that, um, let's dig into each of the three scenarios. So the, the first one is summer evenings. Um, I'll go through some opportunities and challenges of each scenario and then dig into a few specifics for each of the five topics that we studied um, per scenario. Again, there's more information available online. So summer evenings, car free, 4 to 11 p.m., May to October. The summer evening scenario would be an evolution of the Evenings on Park Lane program that was developed um, over the last couple of summers. So it would include extended hours with an earlier start time at 4 p.m. Um, to allow for more setup time and to reach more people during happy hour and, and dinner times. Um, it would include additional programming and events to activate the street. Um, flexible and movable uh, amenities would be set up and taken down daily. Um, and it's really intended to balance daily commerce needs with evening activation and creating a vibrant atmosphere. 
challenges of the scenario are generally that the closure would be temporary. Um, so that has implications in terms of what can be set up in the street, um, staffing for management, daily setup and breakdown, um, storage needs for overnight um, and during the day, and um, communications since things might change daily. So we have five topic areas for each scenario. The first one is infrastructure, a little more detail here. This scenario includes movable planters um, that serve as vehicle barriers. They would have incorporated signage, um, foldable lightweight chairs, tables, and umbrellas would be used that can be put away nightly. Um, existing bike parking would be expanded to enable more people to come visit Park Lane using a mode of transportation other than their car if they chose to do so. And then the stormwater planters or the rain gardens that are on the street um, could also be partially converted into public seating areas by um, designing some decking and new railings um, that would go on top to, to make some more use of those, those spaces. Our second topic is programming. So for summer evenings, um, there's a, you know opportunities for um, of course, evening, nighttime, sunset, dusk um, activation and, and um, activities surrounding those times. Um, there's also opportunities to do weekly recurring programming. So something that might happen on the same day every week to provide some predictability. And then also special events that can happen and, um, at any time dispersed throughout the closure period. I mentioned the earlier closure time, so looking at 4 p.m. Um, in order to provide more time for setup, parking management, um, and to kind of get that after school, after work crowd um, during happy hour and dinner times during the summer, during that busiest time of the year. And then art installations would need to be temporary um, or performance-based, ephemeral, some um, medium that um, is manageable for being put away um, every night. Operations, um, the daily setup and breakdown is a big piece of this scenario. The result of that means that there's hours that extend for city staff time outside of typical working hours, um, you know, closing everything down or opening the street back up to cars late at night. Um, so that's one consideration in the report. We also included um, the, um, a large on-site storage container. So thinking about where is everything gonna go in that um, overnight and during the daytime outside of a closure um, and that needing to be convenient um, and accessible. Daily parking enforcement for on-street vehicles. Um, so we're talking parking and access here, um, similar to evenings on Park Lane in the past, you need to have the, the bollard cover, covers, signage, communications around parking times. Um, and then parking enforcement once the closure time were to begin. Um, this scenario does allow for daytime vehicle access and parking on the street um, for customers' maintenance and deliveries. And then in terms of parking spaces, um, we're prioritizing ADA or accessible spaces and short-term parking or loading zones that ensure that convenient access to the street for those who really need it um, is maintained. So on this map, you can see the negative numbers on Park Lane itself um, show one um, accessible parking space in the blue and white circle. Um, 
four 15 minute spaces in the yellow and white circle and one 30 minute space in the red and white circle on Park Lane. Um, so those that's a total of six short term and accessible spaces that exist today. Um, so given the limited closure time of this scenario, we think it may be sufficient to offset two of those spaces to another nearby location. Um, the concept would be to redesignate two two-hour spaces on Main, right by the entrance or intersection to Park Lane um, into one new accessible space and one new 15-minute space. And then public safety. Um, so based on our conversations so far with the fire department, um, this type of closure would be considered a temporary event, um, meaning that the closure can span 300 feet and emergency access would occur from either end of the street and from the intersection um, with the south alley. So that's a foot access on the south side of the street there. Um, and then in terms of personal security, um, by having more activation, more people out, more going on in the evenings, we think this can actually be increased personal security and safety than maybe what even there is today. Um, just by having more of that passive surveillance and eyes on the street, as we call it, um, that can really contribute to the perception of, of safety. Um, all right, so that's the gist of the summer evening scenario. Um, let's go ahead and move on to summer season. So again, this would be car-free May to October, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The summer season scenario envisions an extended pedestrianization period, capitalizing on those busy summer months, um, bringing people to Park Lane at all times of the day. Um, it would include semi-permanent installations and furnishings. It can have expanded landscaping and public art. Um, it can include rotating programming throughout the summer to provide unique experiences throughout that closure period. Um, the longer length closure is more predictable um, for people, and there's also less day-to-day -day staff efforts um, for setup and breakdown than, than the summer evenings. Challenges of the scenario include that the closure does extend 24 hours a day, so we start to get into some overnight security implications, um, and then also the need for activation or or branding to really get more people down to the street during the daytime when it can be quieter. Um, while daily setup and breakdown isn't needed, the closure will still need to be monitored or managed by the city regularly. And unlike summer evenings, deliveries wouldn't be manageable on the street during the daytime, so those would need to happen from nearby alleys and loading spaces. So starting with infrastructure, um, for vehicle closure devices here, we um, have proposed using um, bollards in, in addition to branded planters um, to make a nice gateway at either end of the street that's a little bit more um, semi-permanent. Again, um, foldable and semi-permanent furnishings. So here we can have more of a variety of furnishings, whether that's seating, shade, tables, um, while still being uniform in appearance and contributing to the overall um, sense of place on the street. Here we look at um, 
using temporary bike corrals in the summer months during the closure. So a bike corral is not only more bike parking, but also includes amenities to serve bike users. Um, same situation with the stormwater planters being partially converted with decking um, into public seating areas and expanded landscaping. So since um, plants and other landscaping doesn't have to be um, pulled off the street and put away during the daytime in particular, um, there's more opportunity for, for healthy landscaping. Programming, so again, semi-permanent is kind of the key word for this scenario. Um, we can have a variety of public art installations, um, parklets and outdoor merchandise displays that can be um, left out and secured overnight. Some might be more lightweight and movable and move inside. There's also um, more of an opportunity for ongoing installations. So um, leaving things out for longer periods of time, maybe every few weeks, there's a different type of installation um, that gets set up. There's also the opportunity to continue doing recurring programming. Um, maybe it's every month or something different and special events. And of course the extended closure time does mean more staffing requirements from the city for uh, managing that programming to keep it active and vibrant. Operations. So for the summer season scenario, it only needs to be set up and broken down at the beginning and the end of the season. Of course, we have recommended um, rotating certain amenities and, and art and that sort of thing to um, keep it interesting throughout the season. So that's um, an additional staff need. There's still the need for daily management and cleanup to make sure the maintenance levels um, remain high throughout the, the season. And then this one might require a mix of on-site and off-site storage needs, depending on um, exactly what amenities the city chooses to, to put out and how often those rotations occur. Parking and access. So this scenario has a longer period, which means the whole season will have reduced parking on park lane itself. Um, for this one, we've looked at offsetting four of those six spaces I talked about before for the ADA or accessible and short-term parking. So here we've got the same um, two new spaces on Main Street right near Park Lane for um, accessible parking and a 15-minute space. We've also included an additional 15-minute space um, in the Lake and Central lot and on Lake Street. And then, as I mentioned, the deliveries, commercial deliveries and pickups in this scenario would need to occur um, via the alleys and nearby loading zones and short-term parking um, during the street closure. So those are those locations are um, identified on this map too. And then public safety. So um, this has the same emergency access as summer evenings. Um, so you can see that same diagram here on this page. Um, here we do get into overnight closures. So there is the potential for security concerns and the likelihood that additional security measures might be beneficial to have on the street. Um, so that's something that the city would need to make a larger policy decision on exactly what direction to go with that. But that might include things like lighting, um, police patrol. There's some different options there. All right, and then lastly, we've got year round. So um, this is again, car free 24 seven all year long. This scenario would be 
um, a permanent, permanent pedestrianization of Park Lane. So the idea is really to create a vibrant, programmable Hallmark public space for downtown Kirkland, Kirkland um, that su uh, supports thriving businesses along the street. Um, a mix of permanent and modular flexible furnishings, again, to allow for change over time, but um, while taking advantage of that permanent closure um, and providing consistent and predictable destination. The permanent closure to cars would allow for the most um, public art, landscaping, and programming. And this scenario also focuses on year-round activation strategies that are responsive to the changing seasons. Challenges of this scenario include um, activation during the less busy seasons and overnight. Again, security um, during those, those same times. Management and staffing for the longest closure period um, is maximized here. This scenario also requires the largest amount of public investment to be successful, we believe. So uh, my colleague Nathan will talk more about that in a little bit. Here on infrastructure, for, to close the street here, we propose automated um, customized gates with planting and branding incorporated into them. Um, seating and other furnishings can be a mix of permanent and modular options that can be fixed as well as rearranged over time. Here we get into covered bike corrals, so permanent um, bike corrals that have a shelter over them for weather considerations all year round. Um, the stormwater planters or rain gardens that treat runoff from the roadway are, are likely no longer required in this scenario, just due to cars very infrequently driving on the road um, and creating that runoff pollution. So those can be removed or retrofitted, um, but other stormwater collection will need to be provided, of course, but it can have a smaller footprint. So removing those altogether provides more permanent space for outdoor seating, programming, something like a stage, other landscaping, um, all kinds of things. Programming, so we've got um, a mix of permanent and semi-permanent public art, parklets and outdoor merchandise displays. Again, these will need to be uh, taken into consideration the, the changing seasons and overnight exposure. Um, there's opportunity for even more um, activities, installations, recurring events, just more space and time um, that can be programmed. Um, with that comes a significant staff need to manage that. Operations, um, there's a, a daily need for management cleanup, including seasonal considerations. So things like snow and leaves, for example. Um, this scenario likely requires both on-site and off-site storage to accommodate things that may be changed by the season um, or rotate out that maybe don't need to be as convenient um, as well as other things that maybe um, the city would like to have more convenient to, to switch up and use to maintain the street. Parking and access. Um, this scenario includes the permanent removal of the on-street parking on, on Park Lane. Um, with that, there's no need to enforce the parking. Um, of course, the trade-off there. Um, again, deliveries would need to happen through the alleys and other nearby loading zones. In this scenario, we've proposed offsetting all six of the parking spaces that are currently accessible ADA or 15 minute um, or 30 minute on the street. So those are offset on um, Lake Street and Main Street right near Park Lane and in the Lake and Central lot. 
public safety, this one's a little bit different. So since this is a longer term closure, our understanding is that the street needs to maintain higher access lane along it. Um, so you'll see that red line on the map here is showing that. Um, the implication of that is that um, fixed furnishings can't occur um, in that access lane itself. We have to keep it clear besides um, you know, movable items. Um, that does mean that maintenance access becomes a little bit easier, uh, not having to move things out of the way. Um, and then again, security. So here we're looking at overnight seasonal closure. Um, there's implications when the street is less busy and less active. So while part of the year, um, the idea is it would be inherently very active, extra efforts would be made to activate the street in those winter and off-season months, um, and as well to consider what security measures might be needed, um, depending on, on how things play out. Okay, so that's all three scenarios. Um, now I'm going to talk about um, how we're evaluating them. So our evalu evaluation includes two pieces. Um, one is qualitative based on the guiding principles. The other is more quantitative, looking at potential costs at a, at a high level. So to start with the guiding principles, I read through these earlier, um, but they were used to evaluate all the scenarios and the existing condition, um, that no change option. So each of the polls has several applicable goals um, used to assess um, how well each scenario may perform. So five guiding principles, several goals within each. Um, we considered all five guiding principles equally in our assessment, but ultimately city council might choose to prioritize one principle or one goal over another um, when they're making their decision for the future of Park Lane. So again, these are the five guiding principles, each has their own subset of goals. Um, the report has more detail on these, but I'll just summarize them briefly so you can have a better understanding of how we're measuring these um, and give you more of a, a look under the hood, if you will. So the first guiding principle is about being a destination and a gathering place. Um, this is being evaluated based on opportunities for events, programming, art, um, the streetscape design, and flexibility over time. The second guiding principle is about economic vitality and commercial activity. So this is a, um, being evaluated through goals about visibility, deliveries, um, space for businesses to expand into the public right-of-way. The third principle is about safe and equitable access. Um, we're measuring this through ADA accessibility, multimodal safety and access, um, security, convenient parking, and predictable circulation patterns. The fourth principle is about city resources needing to maintain the street closure. So this is measured by um, what are the resource needs, um, staffing and operations access. And the fifth principle is about Park Lane being a piece of a larger non-motorized connection in downtown Kirkland. Um, the goals under this principle look at pedestrian priority and space, uh, amenities and wayfinding opportunities. So this graph shows how each scenario measures up versus the guiding principles and the goals therein. Um, each color represents a scenario or the existing condition. You can see the legend on the slide here. Um, I'll just share a few highlights or, or key takeaways. Um, and again, this is the qualitative part of the evaluation. So it's agnostic of, of cost um, and maybe we'll be covering cost next. 
So the gray bars are the existing condition. Um, you can see that in, uh, or for three of the principles, the existing condition doesn't perform as well in terms of reaching those goals. Um, it does perform better on principle number four, maintenance and fiscal sustainability due to just having the least investment costs required. That's the no change, uh, no closure option. The summer evening scenario shown in purple, uh, this performs better than existing conditions, but has similar trends generally across the scenarios. Um, doesn't quite reach the goals as well as the other two scenarios. And um, it scores lower on principle number two, economic vitality, um, than the other two scenarios. That's largely due to um, having less time for businesses and vendors to expand into the street, uh, despite having more convenient vehicle access during the daytime. The summer season scenario is shown in green. Um, this one performs pretty well across the board, but um, is more successful in, in principle number one than the year-round scenario. So that's destination and gathering place. Um, that's largely due to its flexibility year to year and its flexibility in terms of splitting, um, splitting the year between vehicle access and pedestrianization. So those um, both scored pretty high there. And then lastly, the year-round scenario shown in blue also performs quite well on um, against all of our, our guiding principles, in particular principle number five, non-motorized connection. Um, it, it scores highly given the permanent pedestrianization of the street closure itself. So with that, I'm going to hand it off to Nathan. Thanks, Ellie. I'm Nathan Polanski, a senior civil engineer with MIG. In addition to evaluating each scenario against the project's guiding principles, we also completed a cost evaluation to identify the range of financial investment the city should plan for to support each scenario. This was a planning level exercise focused on identifying both capital costs and operational costs. So the capital costs as the, the kind of fixed costs related to the design and construction of future streetscape and infrastructure improvements and the amenities that are being would be provided. Um, the planning level budget range for capital costs for each scenario is based on an itemization and kind of including a cost allowance for each element that was assumed to be included with each of the street, so street closure scenarios that Ellie talked through. Capital costs would also include costs for city staff to manage the design, permitting, and implementation of a future project. So that's capital costs. Operational costs, um, we also took a look at, and these are the day-to-day -day hours or time for city staff to coordinate program, maintain, and manage a future street closure. The operational costs do not include maintenance time. The city's currently budgeted for Park Lane to manage the street vegetation and other existing street elements. Next slide. So this table summarizes our findings of the capital and operational costs for each scenario. For the capital costs, we've considered both initial implementation costs as well as annual reoccurring costs. The capital costs include the elements that Ellie's talked through for each of the scenarios. So the street closure and utility infrastructure improvements, gateways, signage and lighting enhancements, parking modifications and other streetscape amenities and storage. And you can see looking at the table, how the capital costs increase from summer evenings to summer seasonal to year round as the infrastructure needed to support more permanent installations increases. For um, operational costs, um, we've quantified time into two categories. 
One's focused on coordination management time of the street closure, and then one's focused on the installation operations and maintenance. Um, similar to capital costs, the level of staffing for each street closure scenario increases as the duration and level of infrastructure increases. Um, we developed the operational cost evaluation in coordination and collaboration with city staff to kind of review assumptions and the amount of time that would be anticipated for tasks. And you can kind of see from this table, you know, from an operational standpoint, looking at, you know, one and a half to two full-time equivalent staff members across the, you know, coordination and O&M side of things for summer seasonal up to, you know, three to four staff members to um, operate and maintain for the year-round scenario. So this is the kind of level of evaluation that's been, been done to kind of help the city develop and establish a project budget um, for uh, looking beyond the street closure study. And so with that, that's kind of the end of our consultant presentation. We're gonna turn it back over to Jim and um, begin the question and answer. Thank you very much team. <clears throat> really appreciate that. And I think we're right on schedule. And please note that staff. Um, <clears throat> thank you. Uh, so for, here, for this part, we're, we're going to stop and take a minute. I'm going to get assisted with some assistance from Diana and Victoria. So what we'd like to do is we want to make sure, um, as our hope is that the questions do focus on the report itself. And a lot of the report is talking about the dynamics of the street itself. So we want to make sure we block out about at least half the time for businesses, owners, and operators on Park Lane or in close proximity to Park Lane. So what I'd like to do now, team, is for all, anyone in the audience that is a business or an operator or an owner on Park Lane that would like to speak, if you could raise your hand, we are going to do a little math. And Diana, you tell me when. I think we could probably accommodate about 25 total speakers and we're gonna probably end up blocking 50% for residents, 50% for businesses, unless we can fit everyone in. So just to repeat, if you are a business owner, operator, manager on or in close proximity to Park Lane and you would like to speak to have a question or a comment to our consultant or staff, Please raise your, your virtual hand now. And that's the raise hand icon on the Zoom platform. I think we're good there. It looks like it's leveled off. So what's the number? There we got just got nine. Nine. Okay, so we have nine speakers from businesses. So Okay, so if everybody takes their hand down, please, I think you click it again. Is that right, Diana? So just click that hand again, we'll bring it down. And what I'd ask is for all other participants, if you could now raise your hand, um, if you would like to speak, we'll do a little math on that. And this would be, if you're not a business owner, operator, manager on Park Lane and with close proximity to Park Lane and you would like to ask uh, the consultant a question or you have a comment, please raise your hand now. It looks like it's lowering off at 11. 11. Um, we did have a couple businesses that snuck in. 
um, after. So we're up to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven businesses and eleven community members. That's perfectly even. Okay, so that's perfect. This community is amazing. They they did it perfect for us. So okay, so Diana, I'm going to leave it to you and Victoria. Let's break them into groups of. You tell me four or six. Um, we can do four. Let's do groups of four. So what we're going to do is Diana's going to read, um, and maybe you should oscillate back between business and resident. Maybe. We'll stop at four, Ellie and team. So let's take notes. So we'll do four comments or questions in a row, then we'll stop and we'll address them all. We've done that in the past and it works relatively expeditiously uh, so we can get as many in as we can. And if at the end of 22, there are folks that want to speak, then we'll try to get you in then as well. Okay. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Diana and Victoria. And so Diana, I'm just going to turn it over to you. Uh, and we'll start uh, our question comment period now. Great. Um, so I will, um, looks like we've got, so Donna will be the first for the businesses to speak, followed by Nora, then Bonnie from the businesses, and then Ethan from the community. Okay. Donna, welcome. Thank you. Um, so I have a couple of questions, but one is you, sec your second guiding principle about expanding economic vitality and supporting commercial activity. I noted that you, uh, you ranked um, the full closure highest and the existing status quo as the lowest based on, it seems, your assumption that all of these businesses would expand out into the street and do more business there. And yet 100% of the businesses that are actually on Park Lane feel that this would not be to their economic advantage and they're actually opposed to it. And I don't see any economic analysis whereby you assess what actual benefit would accrue to the businesses there. You just sort of gave them points for having access to the street. Um, so I'm wondering if you can really speak to how you see this, the scoring sort of seeming to fly in the face of the reality that's faced by the people who actually own these businesses. And also in your cost analysis, I didn't see anything for the enhanced security costs that you mentioned several times were likely going to be needed if the street was closed to traffic. And I'm wondering why that wasn't factored in. So thank you very much, Donna. I have in my notes team, principle two, uh, she would like Mig to explain the assumptions, the economic assumptions, given that the businesses on Park Lane are communicating contrary to those assumptions. They're not prepared to do the, the things the um, consultant talked about as part one and part two of the question, why doesn't the cost analysis include enhanced security measures for closing the street? So we're gonna get to that uh, when we break to answer questions. Thank you, Donna. Thank you. And then up next, we have uh, Nora. Welcome, Nora. Hello, can you hear me okay? Yep. Hi, um, yeah, I'm a nearby resident and I just wanted to express my full support for um, a year-round closure. 
Um, yeah, I don't know if I have much else to say, but um, I just wanted to show up and say that. And um, and may maybe this, some people from the business community can't answer this for me, but what I've been reading about this and I read the report, I, I can't get over the fact that it's only 17 parking spaces um, that are affected. So less than half a parking space per business. And I'm just wondering um, how much each business is actually affected by, um, would actually be affected by losing less than half a parking space, especially um, given that many of the spaces for delivery drivers would be offset in the year round plan. So um, yeah, maybe people can answer those questions for me, um, but otherwise yeah, full support for the year round plan. Thank you. So thank you, Nora. We're, the The format of tonight is questions to the consultant or staff. So we're going to take that okay, as a comment, but thank you for that. And perhaps there's something we could do to follow up as a staff outside of the meeting. Uh, and we'll look to Diana and Victoria for that. So thank you for that comment. And then uh, next is, uh, Diana, you have our next speaker. Yes, next up we have Bonnie. Welcome, Bonnie. Thank you. Um, uh, the consultant, is supposed to have an analysis of the economics. And I saw your chart, but where are you getting your information? In the pictures of the activation, you show people playing chess, reading a book, doing all sorts of activities. None of them are doing commerce on the street. So how does that translate into a greater economic vitality? Because there's more artwork and there's more things in the street and there's people recreating in the street where does the economic vitality come from got it um thank you bonnie so bonnie similarly to donna has a question and you correct me if i'm wrong bonnie but we're looking for assumptions regarding economic prosperity or vitality in the report how does the consultant come to that conclusion there doesn't appear to be reasons based on actual commerce but assumptions, if I'm paraphrasing correctly, based on improvements. So the, how is the specific economic conclusion of prosperity being calculated, if I have that correct? And um, if I may ask one other question, because this blows my mind. Before they redid the street and put in the bioswells, we had a major gully wash in Kirkland and all over the Pacific Northwest actually. The water was shooting out of all the storm sewers on all the hillsides. The water was running down in rivers off of the street. Park Lane is the lowest point in that part of the city. Park Place had a major flood. The only thing that kept Park Lane from major flooding was the curb. The water was up almost as deep as the curve. My office, I had to move my computers on top of desks, wow. thinking that I was going to flood. Now you're talking about getting rid of the bioswells, which as far as I can tell, are the only drainage. Has Public Works and the, the city engineers, have they looked at that consideration? Or is this just some pie in the sky? Okay, so Bonnie, I'm hearing a follow-up question about the utility of taking away the, or the danger of taking away bioswells and the flooding risk to Park Lane if that's done. All the water floods right now is directed to the bioswells. So if you get rid of them, where's the water going? 
Got it. Okay, we have both questions thank and thank you. you for that. And then our last is from Ethan. Ethan, welcome. Hello. Uh, I was just wondering about in the uh, financial part of the report that said does not include existing planned maintenance. I was wondering if by leaving out the existing maintenance, we are kind of hiding the costs of maintaining a road for vehicles driving over it um, all the time and whether those costs would actually decrease. And I was also wondering how the uh, year round uh, options scored the lowest as opposed to the ones where you're having to take things down and put them up every day. Um, so just looking for some more clarity around that priority and how it ties into uh, existing maintenance. Thank you very much, Ethan. I did get called away from my screen. I apologize for that. Diana or Victoria, if you wanna summarize that. Yeah, I heard in doing the cost evaluation, it didn't include the existing staff allocation to maintaining the street as it is. And is there a cost that could be saved um, in closing the street by not having to maintain it for vehicles? And the second question was about the evaluation and why the year round option scored the lowest in the maintenance category. Got it. Thank you very much, Ethan. So with that, I think it's a good place to stop and bring in our experts. And uh, I'll take um, facilitator privilege here and maybe start with the two economic questions. Donna and Bonnie each had a similar question about the assumptions around economic prosperity included in principle two. Sure, I'll go ahead and take that one. Um, thanks for the comments and questions. So um, in response to how the scoring worked for that one, um, I just want to be clear about what was in there. Um, so we had five goals within that economic vitality guiding principle. Um, some, some of the scenarios uh, scored higher on some and lower on others. So if you look in the report, you can see a little bit more detail on how those came to be. Um, but those included storefront visibility. So that's both from the perspective of cars and pedestrians, um, convenient business access for pickup, drop off deliveries. Um, third option or third goal was space for them to expand into the right of way. Fourth was space for temporary vendors, buskers and entertainers. And fifth was programming designed to support commercial activity. So having the opportunity for that programming space that can help um, make the street more of a destination. So that's what we've included. Um, you know, there's there are several studies and research out there that does show walkable um, and active places do contribute to economic activity and support, um, support local businesses. So um, that's part of my response. The other piece here is, you know, um, you know we believe that it, it would be beneficial to businesses to expand into the right of way, whether that's just an outdoor display Maybe it's art or landscaping to help draw people into their business, or maybe it's an outdoor patio. Um, ultimately, if businesses choose not to expand, um, that's that's their prerogative. Um, hopefully, they would still benefit from other activation of the street. Thank you. 
and completing the Bonnie question, I'm wondering if we had somebody from Public Works to talk about the bio swales. Yeah, I'm Victoria Kovacs. I'm a transportation planner in the Public Works Department. I also have Julie Underwood, the Public Works Director on the line who can add to this. We did meet with our surface water group about this project and discussed what would be the implications of removing the rain gardens. And as Ellie noted in her presentation, we would need to accommodate stormwater in some other way. It would probably be just a, a pipe conveyance. Actually, there is a pipe underneath the rain gardens today, so it might just have to be upsized. Um, but it is correct that the purpose of the rain gardens is more of a demonstration. It is to treat uh, runoff from vehicle tire runoff. So if you don't have vehicles using the street, you don't have the runoff. So that was identified as an opportunity. Uh, again, all of these report uh, findings are suggestions. Uh, it could be chosen not to pursue that option. Julie, do you want to add to that? I think you covered it. Thanks, Victoria. Okay, so thank you for that. And you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but I'd like to jump to Ethan. And Ethan talked about cost savings associated with the year round closure. And he had some questions about the assumptions there. Yeah, I'm happy to talk to that in terms of kind of planned maintenance. And I think the, the note that we included in the, the you know, cost estimating or budget development is really trying to separate time that is currently planned for the existing park lane from future operations and maintenance time. So being very clear that we're not pulling any of the existing plan proactive or reactive time into park lane into what's happening. I, you may be right. There may be some, you know, kind of nominal cost savings, but I think we wanted to kind of keep it to be a, a simpler evaluation and kind of not mix methods. I also want to tack on to that a little bit in talking to our streets and grounds crews who do the lion's share of maintenance on Park Lane. The biggest number of hours is really in maintaining those landscape beds. So that would occur, you know, regardless if vehicles are on the street or off the street. So I don't know um, much hours would be reallocated in that count. Okay, well, thank you, Tim. And we, we are, staff is available to follow up on all of these questions in more detail. I will say though, just as a heads up for our team, we're gonna need to do some more work on the, the fundamental, some fundamental assumptions, economic vitality being one of them. We could follow up Ellie on the, some of the reports that you referenced and we can do uh, some supplemental work prior to September on that as well. Cause I think that's gonna be, that's two people have already asked and I think it's gonna be a reoccurring theme to talk about that. So thank you uh, panelists and thank you very much for our question, our questioners. And Diana, I think we go to our next group of four. There was one other question about oh. enhanced, enhanced security not being a cost. Yes, oh goodness gracious, yes. And thank you for that, Nathan. I owe you, man, I owe you. Keep a little whiteboard notch. <laughs> so enhanced security, uh, let's talk about that. Yeah, and I think, you know, this was one that kind of gets to a bigger you know, policy conversation to be had with kind of city staff and the, the direction at this point was to not include um, additional security and, you know, 
based on the question and concerns, we can talk more about with staff if that should be included um, in the final cost evaluation for each of the scenarios. Okay, we will do that. Yes, and just as a note, if, if folks have a question and they don't uh, have an inclination to speak tonight, please send us an email. Uh, Diana, perhaps you could put your contact in the chat and just send that question directly to Diana and staff will get back to you directly. So thank you for that. Okay, I think that takes us, unless Nathan brings me back again. I'm not hearing. Okay, so I think we're good for our next four. Great, we'll start with Tina and then Jenny, then Michael and then Andrea. Welcome, Tina. Hi, my name is Tina Moody. I wasn't sure what Tina you were. Ah, Tina Moody. Yes. We had several Tinas on here. So um, now Bonnie and Donna did ask a couple of my questions, I, but I do have a lot of questions on this. Um, so I'll jump to some of the other ones that Thank aren't you. quite as important. Um, but the economic vitality I do want to mention is um, that report seems quite skewed to me. Uh, when we did our studies from the closures of park lanes on summer Sundays and also on the evenings, um, the businesses lost anywhere from 20 to 60% of their sales revenues during the summer Sundays. That's not being mentioned anywhere. You're making it look like the businesses are, are going to be enhanced by this decision. Um, so anyways, off to my question, um, there's no mention of public restrooms. Okay. You guys are, are saying that they're going to bring all these people in and enhance all this, but where are these people going to be using the restrooms at? The restaurants, coffee shops, the businesses? There's nothing like that. Um, that was one of the main reasons why the city didn't want to bring... Um, the Wednesday market back because there's no public restrooms up there, but yet you guys are talking about making Park Lane into like a Wednesday market all the time. There's no public restrooms. Okay. <clears throat> and you can so ask that, as many questions as you like that, here. That needs to be addressed. Um, the activation scenarios, I don't see any activation on here on your report. You mentioned it before at the last uh, transportation meeting and city planning meeting, there was a slide on there in activation. Activation, I think, is one of the most important parts of this whole project mm -hmm. on getting people down there. But yet you guys have no activation whatsoever involved in this report. Um, you can't just close it and expect people to come. You can't close it, put a little public library up when we have a multi-million dollar library across the street mm -hmm. you can't activate it with things that are going to be competing with the people that are actually renting leases down there you can't put a pizza place in front of a pizza restaurant you know i mean this is what i was hoping that you guys would be studying is how to activate this how to make it successful. So far, I haven't seen anything that's going to make this successful. It's just okay. the same thing that you guys are trying over and over. Um, the, you 
talk about this is a uh, part of a larger non-motorized corridor coming from Park Lane all the way up to 85th. So are you saying that the east end of Park Lane will eventually be closed too with the loss of how many parking spots on that street there? And additionally, you talk about loss of six additional parking spots for ADA and pickup zones. So those six additional parking spots, those are coming out of the two to four hour spots that our customers are need to, to use. And the last thing is you say that you need a storage unit to store all of these chairs and tables and whatnot. Where will that storage unit be placed? in the parking spots that people need to be able to come to do commerce on Park Lane? Oh, this okay, Tina, I'm sorry. Tina, I'm sorry, I, I don't have access. I don't see the timer, but I think you're over two minutes. Okay. But Tina, P Tina, hold on, because I wanna summarize to make sure that I have them all. So okay. staff, I do wanna note that Tina adds her name to the economic vitality question. Uh, but in addition for us to respond to public restrooms was one question, activation scenarios, more detail on activation scenarios, I assume for all three scenarios. I didn't quite get the question for issue number three. And uh, question number four was uh, storage. Uh, what's our storage plan? If anybody could help me or Tina, okay. maybe you could help me. What was your third so the incorporation, the incorporation of a non-motorized corridor that you guys are yes, talking about. It. So the east end of Park Lane is going to be in planning for being closed additionally. Is that the grand plan? Okay, let me let me stop you there and turn that over to the team. Thank you for that clarification. The uh, non-motorized integration of the non-motorized uh, corridor. Okay, so that is that's person number one. We go. Thank you, Tina, and we will go to no, our next person. And now we have Jenny. Welcome, Jenny. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, um, my question is, uh, there seems to be an assumption that uh, the street will be less safe um, without cars. Uh, I think that was particularly for the uh, full-time closure. Um, can you explain how not having cars uh, on the street makes it less safe? And then also um, environmental considerations don't seem to have been um, part of this with um, there being less vehicle exhaust, uh, less runoff from cars and the benefits of, um, of that for the street. Um, thank you. Got it. Thank you very much, Jenny. Okay. <clears throat> so team, we, her, uh, Jenny asked about assumptions around safety, I believe, for the full closure scenario. And she also asked about environmental considerations and why that didn't play in to our evaluation um, for all scenarios with less uh, vehicles on Park Lane. Okay, thank you, Jenny. Let's move to our third question, questioner. That's from Michael. Michael, welcome, Michael. Hi, thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. Great. So a couple few questions maybe here. One was the, I'm trying to understand if there was, and, and maybe I'm coming in late to this, but I want to understand 
is there a particular problem that the city was trying to solve by this? I, I don't, in everything that I've read, I have not heard that there was a, an actual problem. So maybe help clarify that for me uh, as question number one. Question number two is there is no cleanup listed as part of the maintenance cost for the temporary closure. Okay. I only saw it for the summer season and for the permanent closure. So the cleanup right now is there is no cleanup. The, the, the street is uh, there. There's, there's, you know, after an event or just random evenings on the, you know, a nice evening, there is absolutely, you know, garbage everywhere. So right now it's a problem. I can imagine it being even worse um, again in all three scenarios, but uh, again, just, it was not mentioned in the temporary closure. As, hey. as a, Thank you and very then, much. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Michael. And then lastly, just the capital costs, the CapEx and, and repairs and maintenance. Uh, who's paying for that? Got it. And that's all three scenarios, right? Correct. So uh, team, I'm going to summarize Michael's questions. First, what problem is the city trying to solve in the proposal for Park Lane? Second, uh, there's no cleanup costs listed for evening closure. And he'd like to know about that. And finally, the capital costs, who's paying for the capital costs um, for all three scenarios? Um, spoiler alert, city, but I'll let the panel uh, take that too. <laughs> okay, thank you, Michael. And uh, that takes us to our fourth speaker. Andrea. Hi there, this is Andrea Christensen. I have three. Welcome, Andrea. Uh, thank you, Jim. Uh, three questions. I think the first one is probably more of a clarification. Um, it might not be, it's, I think, more the city. On one of the timeline slides in the earlier slides, you talked about a Moss Bay neighborhood decision about pedestrian. And I just love some more clarification about that decision and what authority the Moss Bay Neighborhood Association has on Park Lane, downtown is a big place and um, what level, like why is their decision? It seems like that decision maybe was more heavily weighted than the businesses. There seems to be a disconnect there. So I'd love more information about that. So that's question one. Question two is, um, I think Ellie said early on um, that the you were assessing the pedestrian corridor to connect from I forget what the new park, what park place is now called all the way down to the waterfront, but that you are only looking at the one block of park lane. But if you're going to create a pedestrian corridor, you're going to have to close more than just park lane. So I'm very confused about how that's supposed to happen if you're only closing one of those streets um, when there would be presumably two or more blocks closed, transit center, the supporting blocks. Um, so there's some stuff there. So that's question number two. And then three, I would love some clarification around the assumptions. It was kind of glossed over, it felt like, on the deliveries in the alley. It kind of felt like the economic vitality. There was just kind of assumption like, oh, deliveries will just happen in the alley. Like, is that actual pos actually possible? How many deliveries happen on a daily basis, weekly basis? Are those typically in the morning, evening, or afternoon? Could those deliveries be switched at night? If they were all happening at night, would there be a pileup in the alleyway? So I'd love to understand some more details about how those deliveries are supposed to just happen in the alleys and in the load zones um, or those temporary parking spots, which maybe sure. we'll have more of. But anyways, those are my questions. Thank you, Andrea. So I'm going to 
do my best here. I think they're pretty clear. The first is what specific role did Moss Bay Neighborhood Association play in the decision? And I'm assuming the decision to uh, hire the consultant and do the report. Uh, two, uh, one block of Park Lane uh, seems insufficient to create a pedestrian corridor. So you're looking for more information around the assumptions around a pedestrian corridor. And three, need more details and specifics about how deliveries would work in the alley. And I'm assuming this is primarily for scenario three, full year closure, but I guess that does touch, and you can direct me here, Andrea, uh, the um, summer closure as well. Is that correct? Yeah, it was mentioned in several closures. It was it felt like just like, oh, it'll happen in the alleyway. And I want to understand, is that actually possible? And if so, how? And are the businesses on like have because they're the they're the ones receiving those goods, right? So right. um they know when those pickups happen, how frequently they happen, how big the trucks typically are. Sure. It seems like that kind of stuff. Okay, well, thank you. So let's start. Thank you. Uh let's start with um Tina's question. I think we could go through these. Uh, public restrooms, activation scenarios, integration um, uh, for the non-motorized corridor and storage. Those are kind of technical structural questions. Um, Ellie and Nathan, perhaps you could jump in on those. Sure, I can talk um, to a couple of those. I might ask Victoria to, to weigh in on the, the restrooms piece. Um, the storage container, uh, we do have a, a map for each scenario so you can see in the report um, exactly where that lands, but it's would basically go in the, the in the Lake and Central parking lot right north of where the alley um, enters the lot. So there's some space there that is not currently used for a parking space based on the striping pattern. Um, and we think it would only take up one to two parking spaces there based on depending on the size of the um, of the container. But you are correct that it would take up some amount of, of parking. Um, to accommodate the on-site storage. Um, the other area I would just add in is that kind of looking at space in the parking garage under the library is another opportunity for space that's nearby and has less of an impact on parking. Yeah, a couple of options there. Um, activation strategies, um, I did not go through those in detail, you're right, but um, there was an image on each of the slides and you can see it in the report. It's a big colored box and it has a sample event calendar. So there we've brainstormed some ideas that may be commerce supportive ways to activate the street while not competing um, and ways to engage with the businesses um, and help bring more people and, and customers down to the street. So there's an event calendar in each, um, each scenario. We also have an appendix to the report that has more detail and more in depth on, on more ideas beyond those that are listed in the, the calendar. Um, I, would you guys like me to give some examples of that or do you want to save some time right now? Yeah, I think, uh, I'd, I'd actually, we could follow up with Tina as well. I think we should keep moving okay. uh, if that's okay. Yeah. And I can answer the restrooms question. This is actually something the team talked about and discussed a lot. Um, one thing that's really important is there are two city restrooms in the parks at Peter Kirk Park and Marina Park, which are about one block away from where we're talking about the west block of Park Lane. So we thought there already was um, you know, public restrooms in close proximity. We also talked about, could we do a Portland Loo type situation, like the new one that's at the Ferret and Spur Park? 
um, in the Lake and Central lot. But again, that would be a loss of an additional stall. And, you know, there's also considerations about, um, you know, proximity to businesses and smells or things like that. So that was another thing we felt wasn't really necessary. And then um, we do have our, our deputy parks director too, who confirmed that the restrooms are available year round. Is that right, John? Yeah, both the uh, Marina Park and Peter Kirk Park restrooms are year-round restrooms. And we thank you for that, John. You're very welcome. And that's great because um, the Parks Department has maintenance crews dedicated to that, uh, whereas this would be a new one, um, so a new ad. Uh, and it's not a service that Public Works currently has. So um, how about the integration of the non-motorized corridor? Yeah, I'll start with that one. And I'll actually also tag our planning and building Deputy Director Allison. So the Moss Bay Neighborhood Plan, which was adopted last year, uh, two years ago. December, <laughs> December 2021. 2021, okay. Um, did identify a vision for this larger pedestrian connection. So that was one of the pre-existing plans we referred to in this study. And Allison, do you want to talk about the process for that chapter of the comp plan? Yeah, I can touch on that really briefly. Thanks, Victoria, and thanks, Andrea, for the question. So the process to update our, our neighborhood plans, these are chapters in our, our comprehensive plan, which includes goals and policies for how we grow in the city. Um, so the process for that is typically, and, and this was the case for the Moss Bay neighborhood plan update, we identify a working group of folks that are not exclusively from the neighborhood association, but in almost all cases in involved do include people that represent the neighborhood association. Uh, the Moss Bay neighborhood uh, plan update working group also included business owners. I don't have the full list of the working group members in front of me. We could certainly find it if folks are interested, but that's um, a body that is not formally part of the legislative process, but it's the working group is formed of community members that we consult with over the course of the update process. Ultimately, the way that we update or um, adopt updates to the neighborhood plans are by taking those um, working group recommendations to our planning commission. Our planning commission, which is a group of appointed officials of the city, makes a recommendation to our city council, who are, of course, your elected officials, and city council ultimately considers the recommendations from the working group, from planning commission, also from comments they receive from the community at large, and they adopt the, the neighborhood plan. So hope that hope that gets to the answer and we can always answer follow up questions if you have them. So thank you, team. I'd like to um, re we're we're doing great for time. I might need to limit the number of questions to two because uh, I think um, we do want to get all 22 speakers. If you could answer briefly about. OK, I think we touched on the storage. Did we touch on the storage? Uh, so let's go to Jenny's questions about why is it less safe? Um, as we move into the closure and not that this is all about me, but we need a good answer on the environmental question because David Barnes is going to hunt me down over at the city. So what's, what, what do we have to say about why no environmental considerations? First, I'll start with the security piece. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that it is definitely less safe, more that there are there's the potential for security consideration. So the idea of not having cars on the street means that, you know, overnight or in 
you know, inclement weather, what have you, where there's less people out and walking around, um, it's just less, less visible. It can become a bit more hidden. So this is an issue that we sometimes see in other pedestrian malls that are closed full time is that they end up, um, you know, having, having certain security concerns that arise just from having less people around. Um, that said, that can be combated with appropriate programming, activation, making sure there's things going on on the street to have people there. And then it's really just those overnight periods that the city's going to probably want to have a larger conversation about um, to see, you know, what is their approach? You know, is it police presence or is it um, security infrastructure, cameras, lighting, or both? Um, you know, I don't have the answer to how the city wants to approach that. Um, they, you know, they also might decide that let's close the street and then see what the security concerns are or are not. And if, um, and then they can react accordingly. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's a little bit of a complicated issue and it could um, come in a lot of different forms and a lot of different solutions. So it's sort of um, a bigger conversation that we're, we're pointing to with that. And the environmental? Yeah, so um, in terms of uh, it being a part of the closure scenarios, um, it's not included as a major um, piece, but it's definitely something we could be sure to call out more clearly and include if, if um, the city staff would, would like sure. to. Sure. It's a good point. Thank you for that. Um, so we do have a few more. We, we want to try to get through these expeditiously, and I want Michael and Andrea to know we are available to follow up with them directly as well. Let me start with Michael. Um, there is one question about what the city is trying to solve with the issue. And then two more technical questions about no cleanup listed on the evenings and what are the capital costs? If it's okay with everybody, I'd like to take the two technical questions first, uh, the no cleanup listed for evening closure um, and the, uh, well, Who's paying the capital costs, Kurt? Unless you, unless I have this wrong, that would be the city's paying for the capital costs. So maybe I could take that question off the board. Yeah, I mean that's the assumption right now, or maybe two grants, um, grants, yeah. possibly yeah. grants, economic development grants. But sure, um, sure the city would be responsible for figuring out how that money was developed. Yeah, that's yeah. a better answer. Thank you. And I, one well, just talking, I, I could take the why, quite yeah, what problem are we trying to solve? Question. This has come up before. I think. We aren't trying to solve a problem. We're trying to create even more opportunity in these scenarios. So one of the key elements of all the plans that Allison Zyke mentioned and the, the work the council is doing is about continuing to make downtown a place that businesses and residents and visitors can all go and where everything is thriving. And so the lens is, could we make it even better by making these investments? Not there's something wrong with it. And I think the whole point of the study was to say, what sorts of investments would it take to make it even better? So it's more about whether or not there's an opportunity that can be capitalized on that would make it a better place for business and community versus there's a big problem that we're trying to fix. So I hope that helps. Yeah, thank you very much, Kurt. As embodied in the principles outlined by the consultant in the report. So thank you for that. Uh, Nathan, perhaps you have the- yep. Yeah, and in terms of daily cleanup, um, our assumptions included a an allotment of hours for daily setup and breakdown and included in that was cleanup time. And so that sort of rolled into that, that line item. And so it's not that it's not included, but it's accounted for within the sort of 
daily setup cleanup that doesn't happen with the other scenarios. Thank you for that. So two remaining questions we can move through expeditiously. Is one block of park lane enough for a pedestrian corridor? And how are we managing deliveries in the alley, particularly for the partial and full-time closure? Um, sure, so I'll take the deliveries and maybe Victoria, you wanna to talk to the larger corridor. Um, I have a few thoughts on that though also. Um, deliveries, we don't have the data that was mentioned about um, quantity and uh, timing of deliveries. I can speak from experience in other downtowns that often a lot of deliveries happen in the mornings would be the most common, but they can happen at different times of day. Um, I've seen in other street closures where the city works with delivery companies to prioritize deliveries um, in the morning or at the desired time rather than you know, during the closure. So that's a possibility. Um, Capacity-wise, again, without knowing the quantity of deliveries, um, in theory, the alleys are uh, wide enough for delivery vehicles. You know, that's a, often a key purpose of alleys um, to begin with, and why they're why these businesses have back doors. Uh, most of them do to an alley, um, so that's the idea behind that. But yet, yeah, certainly a, a trade-off to not be able to deliver to the front door. So um, hopefully, we captured that in the scenarios. Yeah, and I'll add question. on to that, that in all the scenarios, the vehicle access control is movable, so we could permit deliveries to occur from Park Lane, as Ellie's saying, in the morning or certain times in the evening by coordinating with companies. It is a, a management solution that we could do. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the alleys, but yes, the alleys are designated now for trash collection and short time loading, which is all signed, um, as well as from Lake and Central Lot, we know that happens as well. As far as the one block, this study was focused on the one west block of Park Lane, building on the evenings of Park Lane lessons learned over the past years. Um, certainly we could expand upon that broader vision identified in the Moss Bay plan. Allison talked about, um, just because we're looking at one solution for this west block, there could be a different solution for the east block. Speaking from a transportation perspective, there are other considerations for the east block. It is currently two-way, whereas the west block is only one-way. There's um, building access into the Voda parking garage from Park Lane. There's also the King County pump stations, so their maintenance vehicles will need access. So it might need a different answer um, than the West Block, but it is so something certainly um, should council want to pursue this option. We can look at things incrementally across downtown. Okay, I think that's all. So let me just say a couple of quick things. First, I want to compliment all of these questions. They're excellent questions and everybody's asking them succinctly. So thank you for that. I think because we have 30 minutes left, I'd like to take facilitate a privilege, Diana, and expand it to six, not four, and ask folks to continue the succinct, excellent questions, but perhaps limit it to one or two, your one or two best questions. If uh, you could also give us a question you want us to database, like Tina and others with the economic development that uh, folks need more information on. We'll certainly uh, take that inventory and get back to you on that as well. So with that, Diana, if you could expand to six and we'll try to do one or two questions per person 
And I also want to compliment the staff for, and uh, of course, our consultants for your succinct replies. I think we might be able to land this plane in two hours. Okay, over to you, Diana. Okay, so next we have Mohammed, then Kurt, then Garrett, then B, then Jesse, and Ryan. Thank you. Mohammed, welcome. Hi, good evening. Thank you very much for hosting this. Very informative. I really appreciate it. Uh, really quickly, uh, you know, I. I, I get the point that there's an opportunity development, opportunity pursued by the city to create more business vitality, right? But the, I think the question is really, has there been any cost benefit analysis being done, right? That are you creating enough of the thing to make it worthwhile? Now, coming on the cost side, there are really a couple of issues I want to actually want to ask is that one is a capital cost. The issue of bathrooms has already been brought up. I don't know if there's been, uh, I think it's been addressed. I think that from my, my experience in Marina Park, even though there are events in the marina park, people don't use the things, the extra capacity bathrooms are done when those things are brought in. So I'm not sure if the capacity, the study has been done given the traffic and the capacity that's there, right? Now, one other thing related to the bathroom is the release trash dumpsters. I mean, you know, all these businesses are going to create more trash. Where, are the, where is the trash dumpsters for, for the business trash that be correct, uh, collected? Has there really been factored in? And, and, uh, you know, this all goes to capital costs. I think the comment was made that the city would pay for this. Uh, so is this really going to be from a sales tax increase or is it going to be from a property tax levy increase? How is the city going to pay for it, right? Or there are surplus funds there in the city that are not being used, that are being deployed. I don't really know. Uh, and related to this, I think another thing is that if you want to bring people in and out and there's not enough, uh, you know, because and you're talking about access, so, you know, there'd be access for everybody. Are you also considering trolleys to bring people in and out from parking lots away from the city, right? And has that been factored in the, in the capital cost? Because otherwise, you know, uh, if you, you know, I'm, I'm 65 now, as soon, 75, I may not be able to walk in. I may be able to brought in somehow, right? So that's part of the capital thing. The second point on the business impact, right? I mean, clearly there'll be an impact, right? Uh, we already talked about how deliveries get done. That means that businesses will have to adjust their operations. Have, have you factored in what impact does it create? Uh, also, the point was made about like uh, what businesses can open up, pizza shop in front of a pizza shop. So there'd be a revenue hit, right? And there'd be a revenue hit also because of access. Parking is reduced. So people, you know, some people may actually be depending on parking for service. They're only using it for a few hours, they walk away um, and things. And I think there's issues like, uh, you know, impact to the property values is going up and down. So there's already economic impact there to the businesses. Has that been looked at or not? So I think, uh, you know, I didn't really hear a lot of that. I see that, okay, we all want to do good things to create more opportunity for the businesses and their and, uh, and, uh, residents. But I don't know whether the cost analysis, both capital-wise and business, has really been fully um, um, evaluated and analyzed. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Jawad. Um, much appreciated. So. To paraphrase Jawad, most of the thread of Jawad's question is around cost-benefit analysis. And uh, have we evaluated the marginal costs, perhaps the differences between the three scenarios? Are we factoring additional or uh, capital costs around trash and the removal of trash? And more, to, more discussion around business impact, including inquiring to the businesses what specific impacts it would have to the businesses. And then lastly, has there been an analysis done on the increase or decrease in property value as a result of what could be millions of dollars of investment in these neighborhoods? And that usually results in an increase in property value. But the question is, does have we done that work yet? So thank you, Jawad. Let's move to our next um, uh, program questioner. 
Kurt. Kurt, welcome, Kurt. Hi, how's it going? Good, am, thank uh, you. I'm I'm just a little bit confused about whether the concern here is that nobody's going to come to Park Lane or everybody's going to come to Park Lane and use the bathroom and leave trash everywhere. But my questions, I have two. One of them is about uh, the full pedestrianization option leaves the fire lane open due to the fire code. Uh, and that means it's much more reasonable to do morning deliveries uh, because you know you won't have to move anything out of the way. So I was wondering whether we could explicitly get something in the report about uh, potential for um, automated bollards or something like that to yep. make morning deliveries a possibility because I don't think anybody is seriously opposed to the idea of morning deliveries on Park Lane. Got it. That's, that's my first question. And my second question is uh, ties into something that was just mentioned, which is, have we at all considered the uh, potential for increased revenue due to increased intensity of economic activity, uh, increase of property values, potential for uh, future redevelopment, things like that? Uh, because I think those are also big benefits that, uh, uh, that, are, that are a possibility. So your question, Kurt, is about tax revenues from increased commerce. Have we have we um, projected or potential increased commerce? Have we built any of that into our assumptions as how to pay for the improvements? Is that correct? correct. Okay. Correct. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you, Jawad. Let's keep moving. Uh, we go to our third uh, question. And that's Garrett. Garrett, welcome, Garrett. Garrett, you are up. I think you might be muted. If that's us, we want to unmute Garrett. Hello. Ah, there you got it. Welcome, Garrett. Hi. All right. Thank you. Um, thank you to city staff and to MIG for putting this on. Before I ask my two questions, I wanted to make a quick statement. Um, the whole thing about activation on Park Lane, which was often quoted in the report, is a little confusing because Park Lane West is the most activated street in all of downtown Kirkland, and it currently remains 100% rent occupancy. If the city is so concerned about activation, then why was MIG only tasked with looking at Park Lane West and not the other end of Park Lane, which is right by the transit station, which truly is a dead street? Or look at Marina Park, which is only busy three months out of the year. The businesses on Park Lane are the activation. We are the reason that people come to downtown Kirkland more than just on a sunny day to go onto the water. Um, with that, my question is, how does the city expect to get engagement for all of these activities if none of the businesses are for the permanent closure? And then my other question is, how are we supposed to believe that this time around will be different since we originally looked at the redevelopment in 2010, which MIG originally was did the report for, and the city ended up not going with them, but they did a lot of the back end of the report. So then in the 2015 redevelopment, a lot of these same things that are, were being shown were promised in 2015 and never implemented. Okay, so thank you, Garrett. So we have noted your your comment about uh, activization. So we appreciate that. Two questions. One is how would the city expect 
engagement or activation to work if the businesses are against the closure? And two, how is this scenario different than in 2010 and 2015 when redevelopment was promised during those times? I think that's the question. Okay, so thank you. And let's go to questioner number four. And that's B. B, welcome B. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Everybody says that, right? So several, <laughs> several of my questions have been answered, asked and answered. Thank you to everyone who's participating. Um, my summary questions, if we were to open Park Lane, keep it open for pedestrian and non-motorized use, um, what data do we have on pedestrian spending patterns versus those of spending patterns of motorized shoppers? Um, uh, okay. I know I've seen some articles on that, but um, I'm wondering if MIG has any data on pedestrian spending patterns. I know there's some reasonable questions that have been asked about, you know, people are going to be on the street doing this and that, but are they going to be spending money? And that's a reasonable question to ask. So I'd like to know a bit more about what MIG knows about pedestrian spending patterns. Thank you. Um, it wouldn't be a Kirkland event if we didn't talk about parking. So <laughs> I am curious about parking utilization. Uh, we hear anecdotal data that um, people park on Park Lane because it's the you know it might be the first parking place that they see, and maybe they're shopping on Kirkland Avenue or they're on going over to Central Way. What do we actually know about the parking utilization on Park Lane right now, and what do we know that we might be able to do to mitigate parking concerns, be that pay parking or some other wayfinding or some other more effective parking utilization to help mitigate um, park stress on parking. And then finally, um, I noticed that all of the scenarios rated a four in terms of ADA accessibility and proximate ADA parking. And I was a little puzzled by that because it seemed to me as though with the street open, we'd have more accessibility for people with disabilities of all type, be those physical, visual, hearing, um, uh, um, immunosuppressed. I mean, there's so many things that, that people are concerned about. So I was a little curious about why they were all fours in all of the scenarios. And that's the end of my Got questions. It. Thank B, you. B, thank you so much. Okay, so to summarize B's questions quickly, um, for MIG data on the difference between pedestrian spending patterns versus uh, motorized shopper spending patterns? Interesting question. Also, um, some more detail about parking mitigation strategies or just detail about utilization on Park Lane and mitigation strategies associated with losing those potential spaces. And then finally, some more detail about ADA accessibility um, and how, um, just, I guess, some more explanation as to how we came to the conclusions that we did. Thank you, B. Let's move to um, uh, audience participant number five. And that's Jesse. Welcome, Jesse. Hi, thank you. Um, thank you, everyone from the city. Thank you, MIG. Um, my first question was um, where a summer closure turned into six months. Um, that seems, you know, if we're talking about a partial closure, that seems really excessive. Got it. Um, you know, I just also want to comment on the economic vitality that the other business owners have commented on. Sure. Um, so <clears throat> they had mentioned that there are studies that have been done that show that, you know, this helps businesses. And I guess my question would be, where were those studies done? And do they have similar weather patterns? 
Um, and then my last question, I think is just some clarification needed on things that were said earlier. Um, somebody had asked the question about, you know, why does the road remaining open make it more safe? And you guys, I think had commented that there's less visibility. And then I guess, how does that tie into businesses having more economic vitality if there's less visibility? Um, it just seemed a little bit contradicting and, um, I just was a little bit confused on that point. Got it. Okay, Jesse, let me summarize quickly. Um, first, she would. Jesse asks about uh, the expansion of summer months uh, to six months, and why we uh, why the um, preliminary recommendation was for that, or idea was for that. The second is for economic vitality, and we're just going to database that question. We need to get back to folks on that. Uh, but thank you for asking it, and it is duly noted. Um, um, and then the going back to the safe question about why open makes it safe, um, which I think is a similar question to what we've had in the past, but we want to make sure we're answering that correctly. Well, that it wasn't necessarily my question why it makes it more safe. It seemed it seems contradicting to tell businesses that they're going to get more visibility. Oh, and then yes. the answer to that question was that there's less visibility. Less visibility. Got it. Okay, so it's more of a comment uh, concern. Um, got it. Okay. Jesse, thank you. Do I have that right? Is there anything yes. else you'd like? Okay. Thank no, you, Jesse. Thank you. So let's go to participant number six in this cadre. And I'm really, let's try to keep it to two if we can uh, for our next um, question. And that's from Ryan. Ryan. Welcome, Ryan. Hi, thank you so much. Um, I just want to thank the city staff for putting this together and our consulting group. I appreciate all your time. So my question, as you would imagine, is based on the art. Oh. Much of this proposal was talked about art installations, temporary slash permanent. Uh, I chaired the arts commission for the city when Park Lane, the new Park Lane was developed as a festival street. We issued the rotating sculptures that are currently on Park Lane. And I just wanna say that is an incredibly, incredibly hard project that we put together and it is very tedious in time and funds and money. So my question to the consulting group and to the city, has this proposal been run past the Arts Commission? And on a greater scale, as there are only five art galleries in Kirkland, has this been brought to any of the art industry as a whole of the greater Seattle to just experience if this is actually a vital or possible plan? Thank you, Ryan. Okay, so let me uh, summarize. Uh, talking about the success of the, but the hard work associated with the rotating sculpture art gallery on Park Lane. Uh, Ryan's question is about given the amount of work uh, uh, and perhaps expertise associated with that, have we consulted with the Arts Commission, Arts Galleries and the greater arts community in Seattle with some of the, um, programmatic art related elements of the report. So thank you, Ryan. And if I have that right, I will turn it over to staff and I'm really gonna rely on Diane and Victoria here to help uh, me sort through answers to our questions. Perhaps starting with Jawad. I mean, I could start Jawad by saying the cost benefit analysis is before us. What, what MIG did was they did the substantive analysis around all of the topics that I said from infrastructure to public safety. They also did a separate 
uh, cost analysis as to what the marginal cost of each of those scenarios is. And now it's really up to the council and staff to decide and include what the value proposition of all that is. So on a high level, that work is yet to be done. And it's really into the realm of city council and city staff to talk about value when you include cost next to the benefits outlined in the report. Um, perhaps MIG could take the specific questions about capital costs associated with trash and input uh, from property owners about some of what they would need to do in order to increase their revenue under these assumptions. Yeah, for the trash collection, um, the city contracts with waste management for um, trash pickup Monday to Friday, but they do not have a contract on the weekend. So um, that would fall upon city staff. Um, and so the maintenance costs, operations costs for staffing, um, additional trash pickups was included from a staff standpoint rather than a sort of recurring capital cost. Okay, and then um, input impact to property owners. I think the report does mention where property business owners have impacted. Like for example, restaurant staffing would be stressed in areas. I know you've mentioned that several times in the report uh, as one potential impact. I think perhaps you could enlist, um, build on that in any way, but I think the general question is to what extent did we incorporate ideas around existing businesses and what impacts it would have to existing businesses? Um, sure, I'll, I'll take a first stab at that. So as you mentioned, um, yeah, space to expand into the right-of-way is a big piece of that. We recognize that comes with staffing implications for the businesses themselves. Um, I think that the evening scenario talks about the feasibility of a business setting up and breaking down something like a patio or a merchandise display every day and how that um, is a time intensive um, thing to do um, with trade-offs of you know, expanded business space. Um, in addition to that, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what the specific question is, but I think the other one that comes to mind is parking and deliveries, um, which I believe right. you talked a lot about deliveries, but the parking piece, um, that's part of why we're prioritizing ADA accessible and short-term parking nearby to re-sign that and offset that in order to support the businesses and support people that really need that, um, that parking close by. Thank you, Ellie. I think I'm going to have to turn up our volume, just, I mean, our, our speed just a little bit, because we do want to get six more uh, comments in. Kurt, for the full pedestrian fire lane open, that question, um, anybody want to take uh, that question? Yeah, I so think, the yes, please. closure device for the year-round closure includes an automated gate, which fire would have a remote control to operate. So you're, uh, you're correct in that comment, and it it is included in this so, area. Thank you, it is included. And then have we taken into account increased revenues to the city based on uh, rosy or um, favorable uh, economic prognostications of uh, increased sales? I don't think that was part of the report. No, that was yeah. not part of the scope of the study. I'd say that's the next cost benefit analysis piece. And there are other models of different cities we can look at of how they have managed and generated revenues in these types of scenarios. Thank you. So for Garrett's question, we did get Garrett's comment. 
I'm not sure if we can take the time with the consultant, although we do need to get back to Garrett about 2010 and 2015, although I do open that up to city staff if someone has a comment about those specific history points about what was promised and delivered. Uh, for the consultant, Garrett does ask a question about how would we expect engagement from the businesses if the businesses are against the park lane closure and was that factored into the report? Yeah, I think this is similar to a question I answered at the beginning about, you know, if the businesses choose to expand and take advantage of that extra space, they can. And if not, that's their prerogative and hopefully they benefit from the other activation on the street. Okay, and Garrett, we will communicate to you directly about 2010 and 2015. I don't have the answers to that off the top of my desk right here. And um, we do need to get you those answers. B asks a summary question about pedestrian spending versus motorized shopping spending. Do we have that data in the report? I think that's the same economic vitality question and we can, we're not doing an independent study of that impact as part of our current scope, but we can pull other uh, resources. That okay, so we'll put that in that general bucket raised by early uh, um, panel participants, I'm sorry, uh, community participants. Um, how about mitigation for parking? I know we have a pretty comprehensive parking data program going on right now. I see Julie's on. Maybe you could tell us about that. Thanks, Jim. Yes, I just wanted to um, make sure people know that we are um, doing a parking study now, effective July 1. We are um, looking about about 500 spaces downtown, and we're really looking at the utilization. And so we'll have that probably um, for probably the first of 2024, where we'll take that data, analyze it and present it. But it's, it is that question of, is there a parking problem? And so we really want to have real time data as opposed to anecdotal data. And that's what that parking study is about. So we have these actual sensors in each parking space and it's telling us real time. Um, the utilization of each of those parking stalls. So. Thank you, thank you, Julie. Yep. And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask everybody now for some their good graces and allowing maybe five or ten minutes to go over our seven o'clock. I think we'll be able to get just about everybody in. Um, Ellie and team ADA accessibility. B asks about more open uh, opportunities for ADA um, accessibility. Yeah, so the reason those score similarly across the board is just the trade-offs between open, um, wider pedestrian space that's easier to navigate versus less proximate ADA parking. So not having the parking on the street. So those kind of balance out. Um, in all scenarios, all infrastructure would need to be ADA accessible. Thank you. So Jesse asked a very interesting question about summer closure. Well, six months isn't the summer. So how did we come to six months in our assumptions there? Uh, Jesse's economic vitality question, we have database, we're going to be working on that. And I think we talked through her observation about uh, the uh, open space. So let's focus on the six month question. Yeah, so we haven't, I, Victoria, maybe you want to weigh in, we haven't specified exact days. Um, there was talk about, you know, maybe it's Memorial Day to Labor Day, maybe it's all of May. Sure. October, we haven't included that level of detail. So a little bit more work to do on the uh, length of time. Perhaps that would uh, be informed by a more detailed economic development study as well um, 
and the time and the dates uh, are open, Jesse, so we'll keep working on that. But I guess uh, what was the underlying assumption of putting the six months in in the first place? I believe that was building off of the evenings on Park Lane program. Uh, yeah. Okay, thank you. So Ryan uh, asks about art uh, and to what extent our art content or activation strategies have been sussed through the level of work that's needed to be done and whether or not we've reached out to the arts commission or regional galleries or local galleries or regional art organizations uh, as part of this report. I'm Diana Hart, Government Affairs Manager. Um, it has not yet, but absolutely would go through if um, any of these decisions were to be made that it would absolutely be engaging the KCAC and our local arts communities. Yeah, it's probably part of a bigger answer. All content or all activation strategies would need some kind of connectivity, I think, if we were to do them well and right. So thank you, Ryan. Okay, so let's, I think we could fit in six more uh, uh, community members with questions. I, I would ask to try to keep it to one, two, if absolutely necessary. Perhaps we could try to, you've been really great. Everybody's been really great. We could try to keep it to a minute. And uh, I think we could get in six more. Is that everybody, Diana? That would be everyone who raised their hand. There's a couple people who've raised their hands later, but that would be everyone who raised their hand initially. Well, let's shoot for that. And I do want everybody to know to reach out to Diana. The staff, our staff is available to answer questions and meet with folks. We have a good amount of time before even the next study session in September, which is why we published the report as early as we did. And thank you to Ellie and Nathan for that. So let's go to the next six. The next six start with Mark, then Brian, then Taylor, then Brad, then a user named freeparklane.org, and then Katie. Thank you and welcome, Mark. Thank you. I'll ask that question, can you hear me? Yes. Excellent. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Sure. As a uh, uh, business owner and a building owner on Park Lane, I appreciate uh, being given an opportunity to talk here. It's a. Um, it's interesting that through the 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 uh, Q and A's that Meg did earlier, and even today, is given that I'm somebody who has so much invested on this street that I'm given basically equal weight to everybody else. Um, and I'm sorry, I get one one or two questions here. Uh, having said that, I'd like to understand it. It feels like the city is, and, and first of all, I'd like to understand, has MIG ever um, consulted and closed a street? And I'd, I'd be interested to understand that. Secondly, um, it feels like the city's sort of playing cruise ship director, trying to uh, activate what is obviously the busiest street in all of Kirkland and coming up with ideas that are a bit head scratching to me. And I'm wondering if those come from, where those come from? Who's suggesting that we need workout classes or um, nonprofit events or ice, fest, ice sculpture festivals? And I think it goes back to what an earlier questioner asked, which is why, why should I believe, because I've seen it for 25 years now, this is the time when we're actually going to maintain our investments because we haven't. My staff and it, it seems to be the only ones who clean up the street. Things are broken all the time. Uh, we don't do events, even though we built the street. And so why should we believe that this is different, that we're going to maintain it and we're going to program it? And, and also the question is, who's coming up with these programming events and, and why does it make sense? Lastly, Got I it. guess this would be my second question is, um, how is creating 
uh, how is this closure scenario increasing the pedestrian corridor? I don't understand that because I see people walking by my restaurant all the time, as opposed to what now people are going to be dodging the break dancer that I saw or all these structures that probably will be dilapidated over a period of time. So like, how, what's, what, how are we actually increasing pedestrian access? Cause I keep hearing about that. Okay. Thank you, Mark. So let me summarize quickly and I'll kind of bring them together. Essentially question one is around um, MIG. Have they closed, have they worked on a project with a closed street? And as a corollary to that question, where is MIG getting activation ideas? Where are these ideas coming from to activate the street? And then the second part of this question is, how are we increasing the pedestrian corridor when it's already a very robust pedestrian corridor? What are the assumptions behind that? So thank you, Mark. And let's go to our next uh, member. That's Brian. Brian, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, so I, I'll have two questions, but overall to me, like Park Lane is a nexus for downtown activity. I visit Park Lane at least once every week. I go to multiple businesses, shout out specifically to Zeke's and Serena. <laughs> um, and like, you know, as I'm looking at this as a whole, um, one thing I would recommend revisiting going through the report is the scoring on principle three for safety and access. Um, to me, it was surprising to see that the existing and summer evening closure options um, were scoring equally. I know there's some different elements within that, um, but knowing that pedestrians are the most vulnerable users of our transportation network, um, it kind of just makes me want to look at whether things were appropriately weighted and scored in that section. Um, and so that would be one question there is just to maybe have that looked into Got it. Um, before the report is finalized. And then um, one other thing that I have, and this is actually ties well to what Mark was talking about, is that the existing sidewalks along Park Lane are typically six feet wide. I can say from experience that that's not sufficient when I walk with my family. Um, when we have a bigger group, we've got my two younger kids, we have two grandparents with us, and we walk along Park Lane, which has people walking two directions. It's We're spread out, and it's not really a comfortable experience. I find myself walking in the vehicular lane mm -hmm. just to be able to uh, more readily travel down the street or to our destination. Um Design guidance from FHWA, the Federal Highway Administration, states that for any two people to walk together, five feet is the bare minimum width, five feet. Mm -hmm. So we're barely getting there. Um, their guidance goes on to say in shopping district, districts, parks, schools, kind of um, the higher usage cases, that minimum sidewalk width goes up to eight feet. And so what we have now on Park Lane is six feet. And... My question here is, would you say that one purpose of this study and the project would be to better balance the public space along Park Lane to make it safer to walk and also more comfortable for people of all ages and abilities? And that's whether they're walking, using strollers, or even using a mobility device. Got it. Thank you, Brian. So first question is around safety and access scoring for principle three, a little bit more information on that. And the second question really is, a question about the purpose of the whole initiative, which could be to make a, to bring better balance to pedestrian access to the whole area. So thank you for those two questions. Uh, next, Diana. We have Taylor. Welcome, Taylor. Hi, can you hear me? 
Yes, welcome. Hi, well, thank you so much, Mig, for your due diligence and putting this on. And Jim, wonderful as always. And thank you to the city staff. I would just like to make a quick note. I will get to my, I won't go over Jim with my two questions. <laughs> but <laughs> <Thank> I did, <laughs> I did want to make a note about the deliveries. And I did also notice, and I'm not sure if Mig was even tasked with um, getting to the root of that. Um, but as far as the deliveries, um, you can, I can speak from the business standpoint, you can't schedule a delivery. Most of the large deliveries, which I receive are unionized. And what they'll do is they'll usually call a day before if we're lucky. And they'll say, we're giving you uh, between two to six. And half the time they come before that or half the time they come after that. So you can't schedule any of these large deliveries. And actually, uh, Kirkland is such a, he a headache for these large delivery trucks to get through. And some aren't even that large um, that there are only two uh, freight companies who will deliver to downtown Kirkland because they consider that it a remote access and say what you want about Seattle, um, its current state, but it was a very well thought out and planned city. And you'll notice they have an excellent alleyway access. And in my opinion, um, in between Mr. Chitalis's building and Feast, by putting a blockage there, that would significantly reduce parking. Uh, that would make it even more difficult for trash and those large deliveries, uh, and it's certainly back up Banner Bank site. So I just want to say that. And another uh, quick statement is Mrs. Kovacs um, said that they've learned from previous pilots uh, things that worked and things that didn't work. However, I would like to just question that statement because the city never followed up with any of the businesses, to my knowledge, and actually asked what worked and what didn't work, um, nor any feedback. Um, so I do wonder where that statement's coming from. And furthermore, uh, so to my first question is, how is this pilot going to be different? Okay. Because we've gone through, um, just in my 10 years, I know talking to other businesses who have been there 30 plus years, there's been even more. But in the time I've been here, there's been three pilot programs, um, according to my POS system. And like uh, Miss Moody said, the pilot programs resulted in a significant loss for business. So why is this pilot program different? And then I had a question about just for the city staff and also I suppose MIG is where did the call for, um, I noticed in the report there was um, activation and a call for activation. And I'm curious as to where the call for activation came from because to my knowledge, none of the businesses are suffering from a lack of foot traffic and there's zero support for 100% full-time closure. So I'm not sure where the call for activation came from, if it is truly, in fact, to improve businesses and foot traffic. And then I do want to make a comment about the restrooms is I think that I know that MIG has come up with some fantastic ideas and, you know, they're trying to solve problems. And so is the city, which I give a lot of credit to. And I think the city does a wonderful job of solving problems. However, I do think that we can, in our yearning to create something that this it doesn't fit in my opinion it's trying to fit a square peg in a round hole and let's be honest i've got four nieces and nephews those kids when they have to go to the bathroom 
they're not going to walk <laughs> a block down. <laughs> I'm not going to walk a block down. And so I don't think that that's realistic to ask these folks who are visiting Park Lane, which is supposed to be a pleasant meandering street to go down there. Yeah. Taylor, I, th I think we've had our two minutes. So um, I'm going to take that last comment. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. No, uh, no. Thank you. Appreciate really, you guys listening. Really appreciate that. So just very quickly, Taylor's comments about the difficulty and time and the ranges uh, on getting deliveries and also a comment about the proximity of bathrooms and the need for that. And two questions is, how is this pilot different than other pilots? Although I don't know that this is a proposed pilot. And where did um, the need to bring activation to the street come from? Okay, so let's move to um, uh, participant number four. Oh, and the question. I'm sorry, Taylor, go. Oh, and the question um, from just from the city. My apologies for interrupting, yes, Jim. Um, about the why there was no, where they're getting the, what worked and what didn't work for previous closers. Yes. And yes. Um, I know I wasn't interviewed and I'm not aware that anybody on Park Lane about what worked and what didn't work. Got thank it. you. Yep. Thank you for that. Okay. So that would be question three. Okay. Over to you, Diana. Next is Brad. Hey, Brad. Welcome, Brad. Hey, thank you, Jim. Thank you, everybody, for doing this. I, I guess first, a little bit of feedback that, you know, it's a bummer that, that chat's disabled. I think there's probably a lot of folks who'd like to ask a question who don't want to speak. Um, and that might be another way for you guys to get a lot more questions uh, listed uh, as well. So Please, this, uh, anybody um, that has that question, thank you, Brad. Send that email to Diana Hart, and we will inventory every one of them. And thank Diana, it might be might it might be helpful too to to post a link to the Moss Bay Neighborhood Plan just so that everybody has a chance to read that and get up to speed on what what's in there. Sure. In, including the the city goal to to try to get drive alone trips to the central business district from eighty eight percent to 45%. Um, but there's there's other policies in there that I think it's important people read, including the expanding and iterating pilot programs to enhance pedestrian only access along Park Lane. And I really, really strongly believe that that has to include folks like Taylor, Garrett, Mark, and others to, to do policy MB14, which is to promote partnerships and increase two-way communication efforts between the business community and city government. Sure, absolutely. And that should include the residents who live in Moss Bay and neighboring neighborhoods like Market and Norkirk, who you know end up walking downtown to do a lot of their daily activities. I know there's not enough density right now in Kirkland to sustain these businesses full-time and they, they rely on people coming from outside to, to stay alive. But let's try to work together with everybody to make this, this space awesome. And my last question to Julie Thank you, Brad. Is, are, are, is Julie working with parks to see if there's a way that we can share cost and labor on maintenance for, for Park Lane? I, I think everybody wants it to be more of a park than a lane. Got so. It. It would be great if the parks department could pitch in to help it make it look like a park. It doesn't really look that way today. Thanks. So thank you, Brad. And just to quickly summarize, yes, please, everybody that has a comment, uh, please send an email to Diana Hart. We will follow up directly with you. Just write it right out and send it to her. Um, 
And the question, and obviously city needs to work very hard on collaborating according to our plans. I do think all those reports are listed on our website. Victoria, you correct me if I'm wrong. So please visit the website. And then Julia, the question to Julie, which we'll take in a minute about collaboration with parks on costs and efficiencies. So let's go, thank you very much, Brad. Let's go to participant number five. And it looks like that participant is no longer with us. Um, so we'll go to number six, who is Katie. Katie, welcome. Thank you. Oh. Oops. Hi, can you guys hear me? Yes. Hi, this okay. is Katie Malik. I'm a candidate for Kirkland City Council. And um, I just wanted to um, go back to the economic vitality point. And I know Mig has brought up that they've done research about pedestrian versus motorized um, spending patterns. And um, traditionally, um, the best uh, research is um, case study research. And it appears as though that's already been done with some of the pilots. And so my assumption is that what the business owners are reporting is what is likely to continue to happen in the future. Um, and also, um, you know, the second best um, research is double-blinded ra randomized trials. And I'm not sure that that's something that's um, really possible to do because I don't think you could come up with an apples to apples um, sure. research. Um, so I, 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 I think that um, going back to the business owners seems like the best um, best way to come up with what the future would look like. Um, and then I do have um, a couple of questions. And one is that Seattle has a new season and it's wildfire season. And I'm just wondering if we've taken into consideration the impact of creating an outdoor space when Sometimes we have upwards of six to eight weeks where we can't be outside without doors and windows closed. And that usually coincides with the summer season. And I'm just wondering if anybody's looked at um, the implications of that for um, for the vitality of downtown Kirkland. Sure. Um, and then I guess, and then my third question is is just um, where where are these resources going to come from? Because one thing I have noticed in the last several years is that a lot of basic maintenance that was happening before is no longer happening. Like you can definitely tell now when you drive from Bellevue into Kirkland and from other areas into Kirkland that the maintenance that was being done prior is no longer being done. Okay, thank you very much, Katie. So. Um... I'll just summarize Katie's comment of the best data would be the existing case studies from previous pilots and double blind study would be optimal, but not necessarily easy to do. Uh, sure questions are Seattle uh, has these wildfire issues. Have we taken that into account in kind of the assumptions of the report of being outside and um, where are the resources gonna come from outlined in the report. Um, so thank you, Katie. Okay, so we're going to close off our question participants from the audience. Thank you so much. They were all great questions and people were very succinct. And we're going to answer these questions and then I'll do a very quick next steps. And we'll start with Mark's question. Um, team about um, activation. Where did that come from? Where did those ideas come from? And uh, maybe we'll just start there. Sure. And, so the idea sure. behind activation is really to avoid the dead street 
a concept that at least one person has brought up tonight. So trying to get more people down there um, and, act, and more customers and making it a really special place in downtown Kirk, Kirkland um, that's lively. Um, the ideas themselves, those have come from our research, um, looking at uh, what other cities have done, as well as looking at what are the actual businesses along the street and what ideas um, could happen on the street that they could actually take part in and benefit from. Thank you. And have you guys been involved with a closed street? I think there was that question too. Yeah, so I, I don't want to get into a ton of specifics. We've worked on tons of streets all over the country. Several of those have chosen um, not to close and some have chosen to close. So we've worked on streets that have gone both ways. Okay, so I'm going to keep moving. Um, I know, Mark, you had asked about how to increase the pedestrian corridor. Um, um, maybe you guys want to take a quick uh, cut at that, and then we'll go into Brian's scoring principles on number three about safety and access. Um, and Brian's comment about a purpose to make it more balanced for pedestrians. So pedestrian space, um, I think it, uh, despite us being able to put things in that, that current travel lane in some of the scenarios, um, there would always be additional clear space included to allow people to walk down the middle of the streets. So that would be widened. Uh, we did not look at a redesign of the streetscape itself outside of kind of the stormwater planters adding onto those. Um, but uh, we also noticed the same thing that it's a crowded sidewalk at the moment. So how about scoring on principle three, safety and access? I think there were some questions about that. Um, I don't remember what the exact comment was on that one. I, I think pedestrian safety principle three, we scored kind of middle ground on both the existing condition and the evenings. Um, I think it had to do with the um, street closing and opening makes things a little bit more unpredictable for people that may not be as familiar with that pattern. Part, so of, the, balancing. part of the question also mentioned waiting um, and we haven't waited any criteria um, or any of the goals that have been evaluated right now. So they've all sort of balanced equally across the street or kind of add up and get averaged out um, for each of the guiding principles. So there's no no waiting yet. And that's something for council to consider, you know, what's going to be more important in terms of overall performance for Parkland. Okay, and thank you. And just very briefly, going back to Mark's question, the first question about how would this increase the pedestrian corridor? I think the assumption there is that it is already quite active. Um, I guess I'm not clear what the question is besides expanding pedestrian space. If it's if it's part of the larger pedestrian corridor, I think we've touched on that a few times. Sure. There could be different solutions for different spaces on that broader connection. Um, Taylor asks, how is this pilot different from other pilots? And I guess I'll this isn't so much for the consultant. So I think Victoria and Diana, we could maybe jump into this really quickly. Summer Sundays was that one day in the summer. I think the evenings on Park Lane differed in scope. Through the pandemic, it actually had half of the street activated as a parklet. And then the next year, there were no parklets. So I think the details and the, the comprehensiveness of this proposal is fundamentally different in that it is much more committed to the space than had been previously done in the pilots. Uh, and we can continue that conversation, Taylor, as well. 
the the consultant you guys might want to talk about he asks again where did the activation ideas come from and uh i think you've answered that ellie right this was generated from consultant yeah experience. i think that's the same question yeah um, yeah and uh diana did you have taylor's third question i'm having a difficult time with my own notes on it Then there was um, from previous or do you have that one? Oh, and there was a question um, following up on uh, Victoria's statement from earlier. Yes, Victoria's statement. Where did where did we get assumptions from previous pilots? I think he, he asked that question too. I think too. that my statement was in response to why are we only looking at the West Block, and I stated. Uh, from the evenings on Park Lane program and from the summer Sundays program. And then I should have also stated also thinking about the transportation and the network impacts. As I already said, the West Block is one way only and the East Block is two way. So there are different things. The fronting land uses are very different. Um, there aren't active storefronts on the East Block like there are on the West Block. There already is a different character uh, to each block. So that's why we started with the West Block. Um, we could build on that success from the evenings on Park Lane program because that was only the West Block and then consider other blocks as part of that larger vision. Thank you, Victoria. So I did summarize Brad's comments, very important comments about collaboration. Brad did note to make sure that the plans are very available to everyone to read and definitely wants us to promote collaboration and good communication across all perspectives. So thank you for that, Brad. Brad did have a question to Julie uh, about how are we going to share or collaborate with parks around costs and efficiencies? Yeah, I think if we do go down the road of more activation of the street, we definitely have to partner with parks. They're, they're in the special event business, so we would definitely work with them. And I do want to reinforce everyone that has a comment please email Diana if you have a written comment. We will absolutely follow up with you on that. So thank you. And then Katie, uh, to bring it home, talked once again about economic vitality. So duly noted, Katie, we will uh, add that as part of the economic vitality thread of questions. Uh, Katie asked whether or not Seattle's um, um, wildfire season played into your thinking about activating in the summertime and also a question around basic resources and where would the resources come from? I think Kurt touched on that briefly previously uh, uh, for activating the street in any of the scenarios. So first to MIG around wildfire season and then to Kurt perhaps for resources. Sure, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great point to bring up the changing climate and how that might impact these. Um, currently we have not we don't have any specific recommendations related to um, wildfire season or smoke in the scenarios. Thank you. And Kurt, any other comments on resources? Yeah, sure. I first of all very much appreciate all the comments and questions um, from everybody's perspective on this. It's been super helpful to staff. Uh, it gives us a lot to think about and a lot to work on between now and September. So thank you, everyone. You know, I, I definitely have heard this theme about will there be resources? Where will they come from? How can we count on this? I think, you know, I'd like to hope you see is that the point of this was to identify what would it take to be successful and be sustained. 
Uh, that was something that really mattered to the council a lot as well. We had some successes and some challenges with the pilots. And the whole reason the council authorized this funding was to say, if we were to do something, what truly is the cost of the investment and what's truly the cost of sustaining it? Because the council doesn't want to have it uh, not work any more than any of you do. So part of what we're going to do next is to say, if these are the true costs, and we might even identify some more between now and then, is this worthwhile investment or not, right? And what is the return on investment? Um, that's the question the council wants to know. I think that's the question everybody wants to know. So um, I can assure you that I have not heard anyone say we should proceed if we can't afford to do it. And so I think that's the whole point of this study, this comprehensive study, uh, to give the council the financial information it needs so that it can make this decision in the context of all the other needs that the city has. So, um, and I think, to answer the question about sort of terming this a pilot, at least the way we have been directed by the council is that this point is to bring this to a decision as to whether or not we do it or don't do it, not experiment with it. But I would also say one of the things that's really interesting about Park Lane is you can also reverse decisions on Park Lane. So if we decided to do it and it wasn't being successful, that decision could be revisited as well. So, but that's no one's intent. The intent is to figure out what it would take to be successful and decide whether that's something the council thinks we can afford to invest in in a way that's sustainable. So um, I also wanna just add a little bit on the maintenance side as a side note to the budget. Um, the city council has been extremely generous in investing in additional staff and resources for maintenance. Our challenge like many jurisdictions right now is actually just hiring the people so the city council really stepped up. They added a ton of new staff and equipment for us in this budget process. We've just at the moment been unable to get the people to come and work, but we're working very hard on that, making lots of new innovative investments and in hiring. And I think you're gonna to start to see that turn around very quickly and you'll see some great maintenance over the summer and the fall, so. Thank, thank you. you, thank you very much, Kurt. So um, Victoria, if you don't mind bringing up the PowerPoint, um, I will then take it to, that closes our, uh, comments section of the um, town hall, which is the lion's share of the night. I do want to echo Kurt's comments and I do want to thank everybody. You've asked great questions. Everybody came super prepared and um, we're a little bit long, but we got a ton in. So thank you a lot for us, the staff, and of, of course, the council to review. So please, next steps, download the study report. It is out now. It's just been out a few days. You'll have all summer to read it, think through, follow up with city staff, follow directly with the council uh, prior to the September 5th, which is our next milestone, where the council will uh, conduct a study session from all of us here to uh, ask us direct questions. The council will ask us direct questions virtually or in person at City Hall on Tuesday, September 5th. Uh, please make a comment at any regular city council meeting or during items from the audience portion of the agenda. Send all your written comments to Diana Hart. She's amazing. She gets them all, organizes them all. Bless you for it. And uh, you can come obviously virtually or in person at City Hall and or submit your comment to kirklandwa.gov Park Lane. So those are the next steps. Uh, there's work still to be done in front of us. I do want to express Heartfelt appreciation to city staff, Victoria, Diana, everyone associated with this work. Uh, Martha Chaudhry did a ton of work. And I do want to thank Mick. Thank you guys for coming. You've been really great, super responsive. We really appreciate working with you on this. 
So on behalf of the city manager, Kurt Triplett, and thank you to our city council members in attendance and who are going to review all of this, that is our program for tonight's town hall. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Take care, everyone.